0: So anyway, we have to get, like, yeah. 175 more episodes. Before we can start reusing
1: stories and jokes. Yes. Things, all right. Well, we'll do our best. Yep. Welcome, gentle listener. Hello. You're listening to Mike Ethan in a room with Scotch. You
0: sound like an alien who has heard our show and is now trying to, like, do a thing. Right? I am the host one.
1: one other one next to me is Ethan Bartlett. He is the guest one.
0: Oh, bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> I'm actual human, Ethan Bartlett. I'm human. And I'm also hosting this podcast about dead trees that have been desecrated with Ink. The, <laughs> the inner liquids of the squid.
1: Yes. I am the
0: one who's done my earth research. <laughs>
1: yes but we're not talking about water that has been aged in flavorful all right you have to stop this we have to stop this right now i know i island. i know i
0: uh, pulled us into this lake but <laughs> i am getting pulling us back out of it oh, okay
1: yeah we're not we're talking about books and not about sketch, and not about sketch. that's the podcast you know this you're listening to part two
0: yeah since or if you don't know this, why are you listening to part two without listening to part one? Go back and listen to part one. We did that joke like two episodes. Yeah, we did that joke one. every time. Yeah, we do. Years. Well, every other time,
1: technically. Every other... Every... Shh. Uh, so yes, um, we are still, as you probably know, drinking the Benromach Spayside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey 10 years old. And we will be continuing to drink that through the end of this episode. And at the end of this episode, we will rate it. Um, We will tell you what we think of it. But we're not going to do that now. Right now, we're just going to pour it a little bit. And then we're going to get the rules read and after the rules are read we will clink our glasses the rules will take effect and the podcast begins
0: what's that lights out lasers karen drops into the room on a grappling hook no that's not what i meant to say um it's been a few episodes folks anyway karen can you read the rules sorry sorry about your grappling hook
2: (laughs) rule one Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule 2. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses.
0: And what happens if someone breaks the rules?
2: If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly.
0: Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener.
1: listener. <laughs> yeah, oh, she <laughs> grapple hooked away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which
0: that one was just her opening the door, throwing her grappling hook out, and then just walking out after it. You know. uh, it's something. Keep guessing.
1: Yeah, you know, you gotta keep it lively. So. Right. So. With that, Slancha. Schlenk. Alright, now, we are going to conclude our discussion this episode on Oklahoma by R.A. Lafferty. Uh, I, I want to ask you, Ethan, yeah. um, are there any themes running through this book that you latched onto that you would like to discuss? No, can you? I'm ignoring that. <laughs> so you can't see me. I am just a ghost in
0: this podcast. That is that is true. Um, I don't. I mean, we talked about a lot of them. Yeah. Last time. Uh. We did, which makes my question very unfair. It does, and it kind of makes me think that maybe you don't know uh what your uh. What you think about it? <laughs> that a challenge. Um, either that, or I don't know what I think, and I'm trying to throw it back on you. Oh, okay. It's it's one of those. Um, well, if it, while while you're thinking,
1: um, yeah. I want I want to say one that that does occur to me. Okay. Because I did have something in my brain.
0: Sure.
1: Um, so jokes on you. Haha. ha. <laughs> uh, that this novel is in one degree about stories
0: yes absolutely
1: um the, the the frequency with which you've got um just the oral telling of things uh, as well as the writing things down uh comparison of languages um one of Hanali's sons at one point um scares men off by his voice and it's described his voice is more powerful than a gunshot. Right. Um, and I mean, those sorts of things, the, the voice words, the power that a story has. Yeah. Is central, I think.
0: And I think there's maybe even an overarching question of what is a story and what is the purpose of a story? Sure. Um, and I think it, you know, Maybe, especially, um, like, in response to some of the things that were going on, even in Lafferty's time of writing this in the 60s and 70s, with the idea of story. Sure. Um, Especially... So like in, in sort of uh, the context of your point, of course, the, uh, the prologue, the very opening, and here I am in dangerous territory yet again of <laughs> of this, of this uh, story, um, says the first persons on our earth were two brothers, uh-huh. Chataw and Chickasaw. They emerged onto the land onto land from a cavern under the Gulf of Mexico. From them are descended the Choctaw and Chickasaw Indian nations and all other nations whatsoever um what i love about the the uh narrative tone there is just that it's so matter of fact oh sure um there's no questioning about like what type of story this is or whether it's quote unquote true or not Mm -hmm. um and and that's a real sense that i do think carries throughout the book is that a story has its own kind of truth and that that truth sort of rises or falls on its own merits yeah um that a, a creation story like this and that's you know what we'd call it mm-hmm. in a in a sort of academic anthropological setting we call it a creation story or creation myth mm-hmm. um and he goes on to list like several more um you know the the uh and 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 parallel them to stories that those of us like raised in a more western sort of Mm judeo-christian influenced tradition will recognize even if even if we're not religious you know the the forbidden fruit of the choctaws was the sand plum yep uh the the noah noe or noah of the choctaws was okla the great raft builder the flood was a mississippi river flood the mound the babel of the choctaws after the flood was Naninwaya, the burning mountain in the talago valley of the mississippi mm-hmm. um and he's deliberately drawing these biblical parallels but also setting them in uh you know contexts of of this continent um yeah and not apologizing for them in oh, in, in a right. particular way um so yeah i think i i i guess that's just like one one sort of slightly deeper reading of an example of what you're talking about is it it even begins with stories but not yes with discourse about stories
1: no it 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 takes stories as a matter of course and with that too, that whole prologue um it's interesting too because after that i think without exception the Choctaws that you meet throughout the story Hanali
0: especially anyway are all Catholic not all of them I would I don't think especially, there, there might be some that aren't but I mean especially if well in fact at least one of uh, I forget his name the one who calls Hanali's son to the to the mountain oh Peter Pishlin? yeah he, he's explicitly called uh Pan something
1: yes that's right uh, um Pandeist or something
0: yeah it was like close to pantheist, but not quite. panoramic deist yes that's
1: right panoramic deist yeah that's the term yeah yes. so not okay. all of them, yeah, but, yeah not them. yeah not all definitely them. Some but of them. hanali and and others so like which
0: which i i do have to and i'm sorry i'm gonna let you finish <laughs> but i do have to apologize to you on behalf of this book that it did names with michael for you oh it did it did sorry i'm not even gonna touch that one yeah um
1: yeah but uh I mean, with Hanali last name nominee names with Michael right there done. Yeah. Um,
0: the which is, i I have to say is one of my favorite things that he just drops. He just puts that in right like oh, just in the uh, like three has, quarters of the way has mentioned the, the name Hanali anomaly nominee a number of times
1: and then now says oh and you know that's this right <laughs>
0: the, this <laughs> like, is obviously just you know that this the was beginning this name of name the Latin was. invocation oh, of the, the Trinity yeah, yeah. so so yes, yeah they are Catholic
1: they're Catholic. But like this, this creation myth is is put into the context of the Christian creation story, the the Judeo Christian biblical story of creation, uh, and and all everything from Genesis in there as well. But then it's it's brought back around, so it's I, it, it's interesting. Again, it, it takes these ideas of story, makes them matter of fact, and. The, the the truth of them isn't necessarily the point. It's it's the telling of them that's well,
0: the point. You have to be careful with that word truth. Of course. I know. I know the the historical Reality. factuality of them yeah. is not the point. The point is the truth. Yes, that they contain in the telling. Right. 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 Um,
1: and that's that, that, that is the through line
0: that I'm detecting throughout this sure. this story. It's interesting now that we're now that we've sort of mentioned the prologue. Um some uh, a thing I wanted to mention about that is that, you know, there are these these stories from Native American tribes that predate um, any sort of contact with the Christian world that we know of. Mm. Um, that, you know, multiple uh, uh, Native American tribes have flood stories. Oh, sure, including flood stories that are like, mirrored to the genesis flood story in like quite a good number of details Mm -hmm. like the the flood waters receding and sending out certain birds to scout to see if if uh yep you know if there was land or like a number of like details that don't seem like they'd come up just from like there being a lot of floods and the the flood story being an archetype in reaction to Flood's like, I, I, and I, I don't make any claims to have any proof as to why that is, but um, I know there's at least one account that I've read of the Spanish missionaries uh, who, um, I, I, my instinct as a white boy is to say settled South America. There's a <laughs> good, good deal of euphemism in that word, but um, some of the ones who actually, you know, talked to some of the natives to South America and, and wrote down some of their stories wrote down a version of the Tower of Babel story that is essentially the same as the Genesis story, mm-hmm. um, w- but relocated from the Middle East to, like, a, a mountain local to them, like some specific mountain that they right. could point out. And, um, you know, the easy explanation, of course, is that these, these white Christians were hearing stories that sounded vaguely similar um, to... Stories that they already knew and then they were writing them down sort of in their own terms um and uh i the the thing about that is like i i know of a lot of scholars including ones who are not necessarily christian or invested in preserving a a christian narrative um who would not would not hold to that at all no um, th- I mentioned the last episode, uh, Dr. Westerman, this, this very brilliant scholar of uh, uh, Native American literature, among other things, who um, I, I was taught by in grad school, insisting that, that um, Native American flood myths predated and had nothing to do with, with uh, white retellings or missionary influence. Sure. These were much older stories. Um, so, you know, and I think, uh, uh, the, the Lafferty here is sort of, um, doing a similar thing in the context of, of his fiction. Sure. Um, that he's, he's not necessarily trying to make these, these, uh, Choctaws into a version of white people, um. So much as he's he's uh, drawing parallels that do exist between between cultures.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, he's he's definitely filling into that same tradition of noticing those parallels. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and in
0: fact, there is, and this is one thing I wish I'd remembered my copy uh, because I marked it with delight on this read through that he says something about like he has some derisive long ass passage about the, uh, uh, number of kooks and cranks who have, like, mapped certain, um, uh, European natives onto, or European, um, narratives onto native peoples, like, seeing them as the lost tribes of Israel. Oh, sure. And other things, like, he, he butts right up to some of those, those, like, Conspiracy theories, or just just wildly, yes, um, unsupported, like anthropological theories from the nineteenth century. But he does then also, like, essentially dismiss them. Uh huh.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. None of them is really given any stock. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to. There, there are a few places throughout the book where I marked things about story, where, where um, like, there's there's the case where when uh, Hanali goes into the camp looking for white man Philea, mm-hmm. um, telling the, the sergeant, yeah, I'm just here to kill one of your men, then I'll be gone. Right. Uh, <laughs> and um, the, you know, of course, this white sergeant or um, commander, I can't remember exactly or colonel or whatever yeah um like no uh and uh then like points over and there's some fresh dirt off to one side and says do you see what that is that that's two indian men who came here and they had some silly stories about some of our men taking advantage of their wives and daughters or something like that Mm -hmm. and so just the way it's termed like they had these silly stories that they were telling right and hanali is now coming with his own story right as well uh that the these stories are treated as silly which to an extent these tribes would appreciate people finding humor in their stories but when they want to be taken seriously
0: well and there's a difference between between silly silly and
1: funny yes there is a difference there the this you can take something serious but still find it funny yeah um, but to call
0: it silly is just dismissive exactly basically. yes
1: um and then there there are a few occasions too where there are groups sitting around a fire telling stories yeah as well there's the story of the panther who ate the girl and she uh, yes <laughs> says hey well i in here, send this down
0: right <laughs> you know
1: there's that
0: oh it's funny it's, it's told by one of hanali's daughters I believe. yeah
1: uh, one, yeah one of his kids one of his daughters i think is is right yeah um, but then even this book itself is kind of put into that same context. Uh, at the end of the book, the, there's this two-sentence paragraph at the top of page 221. The smoke has gone up. The talk is over with. Yeah. Uh, which is, is evocative of that sort of thing. We're around a campfire. The, right. The, the fire's died out. The smoke is going up. But we're done. Right, we're done now. There's nothing more to talk about. We we've, we've got to go to bed. Right, it's <laughs> kind of the idea. Right, and so that's it, it, very deliberate, uh, calling attention to story. Yeah, in this story. Yeah, um, and the way stories are told, it, it's not necessarily interested in the way stories develop. You know, right. The the a lot of the stories that are told are are of um orally transmitted but uh, it's it's not interested in, in pointing out the game of telephone that can occur with such things right. uh, or or comparing written with oral narratives but it's just pointing out that stories are being told right um, they, I can't decide how much more I want to say on that because there's there the the identity of these these people these tribes are is tied up with um with the stories they tell as, yeah. as little as they might be How, however little however big the story is their identity is tied up in there and i don't know if identity is necessarily even the right word either it's just the, their ability to relate with one another and with others is in these stories and stories serve a number of purposes—to to frighten, uh, to amuse, uh, to instruct—all all of these things, things that aren't foreign to uh, our own white culture, right? <laughs> Western culture of, of storytelling. You know, the it, stories serve the same purposes for us as well. It's just you know, we, might, we might have a slightly different sense of humor.
0: Well, there's
1: uh, and, yeah. yeah,
0: there's there's a very real sense. Um, that this is a, a much more oral culture yes that um, and you know the main difference between an oral story and a written story is that an oral story can change sure um, you tell you know when you have a, an oral story probably in our in our very very mediated culture um, the closest thing we have to a true like oral campfire story tradition is like the joke um, sure. And how you tell a joke changes based on the audience that you tell it to. Yeah, um, you know, you you uh, there are certain jokes that are of us of a certain you know scatological nature that you would mm-hmm. tell of, to certain people because they'd find it funny, and to other people you wouldn't because they wouldn't find it funny. Right. Um, you know, or or there are jokes that like you would tell the children, but others you wouldn't tell the children, not because they're dirty, but because. The, the the thing that they're funny about is, is uh, you know, just not something that they're equipped to understand yet. Foreign to their experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even if you think about telling the same joke, to different audiences you're going to tell it slightly differently. Yes. Um, and, you know, oral, oral stories are, are very much the same thing, which is why it's always fascinating when you have a a written narrative purporting to represent an oral story. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, the the purpose of stories in a in a culture like the the Choctaw um is going to be very different to really anything that that we are apt to have experienced just not not even within our particular culture but within our particular age. Yeah. Um, you know we we really haven't to any extent people like like the two of us experienced a culture where literacy is not the norm and illiteracy the exception Mm -hmm. um which it's always it's always remarkable to think that you know this is this is 150 years ago or so like that's already would not have been the case like near universal literacy in in Almost any culture is a pretty new phenomenon. Hmm. Um, so, you know the the uh, the ability to t- well, and, and in in this culture, the in the Choctaw specifically, like the ability to tell a story uh, is not necessarily a matter of life or death, but a matter of like whether you are regarded as. A fully a full adult, uh, or a full complete man is the yeah. term.
1: It's on page sixty six. A man must have adventure adventures, or he must be able to fabricate adventures. And if he could not do either, then he was not a complete man. Yes, uh, which <laughs> is
0: in reference to the wandering year that yep. that every Choctaw was supposed to have taken as a young man, yep. and to have had adventures. And if you couldn't, if you, you make didn't, them up, yeah, if you didn't have it, and and yep. you know the the corollary there is that even if you've had adventures. If you can't tell the story of them right. in an interesting then way, then those adventures don't matter. Then the, yeah, the, it's it still doesn't matter. Whereas if you didn't really have adventures, but you can make some up that seem mm-hmm. interesting, then that matters the most. Exactly.
1: Yes. Um. On, on the following page, it does something interesting here too. Um. Uh. It says. Uh, um. Yeah, leave us here and meet us again on the other side of the creek if you find such things tedious. But if you do, you will miss a hundred better men than any you will meet tomorrow. And this is um, where uh, Hanali is just listing names. Right. And it comes up and he said, Cataloging was as much a part of the deep oratory of the old Indians as of the old creeks. Names are magic for the name is the same as the soul. Name rolls is Indian stuff. They are woven into the fabric of this thing and it will ravel if we tear them out.
0: Um, which is a bit of a sneaky one. Uh, the, a s- similar thing that he does later in the passage you quoted last episode. Where he says, skip this part if you want. Yes. Um, which in which both,
1: draws in, off of that because that passage comes after this. Skip yes. like, this
0: if you want, but he's already told you why you shouldn't. I was going to say, in both cases, it's him saying, you can skip this in the way that you think you can skip this. But... You, you shouldn't skip You really should not, Like, no. Like, it's, it's almost... It's like, a, you know, it's like when you're a teenager and you ask your mom if you can go to a certain party and because you're 17 years old, she's not going to tell you no, but she's <laughs> going to tell you yes in a way that that makes it very clear what will happen if you do go to this particular <laughs> party. Yes. Um, oh, very good. And now, I do... One thing that I do know about... Um, Native American cultures, generally, is that this is this is a very uh, important thing that the, the mm-hmm. idea of names. Oh, sure. Um, and and not only the idea of names, but that idea of ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember just offhandedly referring to, uh, in in a paper I wrote for Dr. Westerman, who I've talked about a couple times, um, the. Uh, uh, who taught my Contemporary Native American Lit classes, um, she, in some paper I wrote for her at some point, I just offhandedly mentioned that I had a, a, an ancestor who was Cherokee. She was my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother. And um, Dr. Westerman's comment in the margins on that was just, uh, do you know who she is? Because you should. Mm. Like it was very important to her that that I know who this relative was and know her name, um, and you know there's there are a number of reasons uh, that she could have had for making that comment, but I I don't think I ever had a, another professor in any other context tell me I should know the name of a specific relative,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that's just just one example of where I very briefly experienced this in my own life, but sure. Um, yeah, even even the names sort of tell stories. Yeah, here, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. Well, it it's um, it, it struck me as as similar to, um, again relating this to, uh, the biblical style of things, the 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 generations passages. You know, these are the yes. generations of Adam. The the Hebrew word is the toledot, um, and that's what they're labeled in the in the Hebrew terminology that these are the toledote uh of of various people or or things um and then you get a list of names mm-hmm. um that come through and those those names it's those are some of the easiest parts of the bible to just skip right but they're important right <laughs> as well they're very important to to look through all those various names because they're they're it's telling a story even just by listing the names mm-hmm. um you you get essentially a a catalog of, of stories all put together mm-hmm. um, overarching through all of these things and you can get some of that too with this book um, when he lists his various names you get just a glimpse of the personalities uh, that are involved in these generations these these catalogs of names um, yes. as it goes through and that, that creates a, an overarching story through all of them
0: sure yeah. Yeah, and even even as he as he draws the narrative to a close, and um, as as you've alluded to, there's a lot of things that sort of go away in the last several chapters of the narrative. Even mm-hmm. as I was paging through, I, I, I noticed the uh, uh, Hanali's fiddle that he had played mm-hmm. throughout the the course of the book turns into a violin. Yes, which of course are it the changes. same physical instrument but but very different meanings
1: well yeah the the name changes and that that happens through here uh his own name changed um it 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 gives you a pronunciation guide at the end here yeah
0: i was hoping we would mention that at some point just because um the actual sentence it it says what's so good if can Um, you find it there otherwise i can paraphrase it it's all i i'm in the section that says it's okay okay yes um should anyone ever wonder how the Hanali in the title of the study is pronounced, it is this: if you read, if you read it, and I have to insist that it's written in present tense. If you read it before mm-hmm. the end of the Civil War, some hundred years before it is written, you accent it on the second syllable. Um, if you read it at a later date, you accent on the first. I mean, that's that's a callback to something we mentioned in the last episode. This idea that he gives of uh, the, the this is this is a book about this is an impossible book because it's about things that have gone away irretrievably, mm-hmm. and yet here is this book about them. Right. Yeah. Um.
1: So yeah. Yeah. The the name changes is is is.
0: But I was I was gonna say, cleaner. um, yeah, going on from from there, even as it draws to a close, he uses lists of names to hmm. underline even those changes and even the deaths of this old world yes um you know he says the uh uh the trails of the old wild west days drives were the great western trail the new western trail the jones and Plummer trail the dodge trail the west shawnee trail the east shawnee trail um and then next paragraph the great river crossings were at spanish fort Jones store the main Texas towns of the herd stagings were Preston, Denison, and Fort Worth. The railroads of the thing were the Hannibal and St. Joe. Well-known promoters were Joseph McCoy, T.C. Henry, Charles Goodnight. The raiding Indians of the period were the Apaches, Quahada, Comanches, uh, Cheyennes, Kiwas, and Arapahoes. <laughs> um, and so he's he's even using lists of names to show the that to show the change in yep. even the lists of. Of names here, yep. Um, and and if you're okay transitioning out of out of names, yeah, for a second, this also I didn't get a names with Michael, so you know, we had I to, mean, like I said, it the <laughs> book cruelly took that away from you. yep. Um, but uh, it it uh now I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, um the okay so so uh, on the topic of some of those names that that I did just just read off in a very anti Lafferty way because I was in order not to read seven paragraphs worth of names out loud on our podcast I did sort of butcher all of those lists <laughs> um, but the point being he lists those particular names in a certain I guess, rhetorical phrasing or rhetorical mood specifically in a way that makes it clear that he thinks you're probably already familiar with these ones sure um if not all of them then at least you know like oh yeah you know the uh Mm -hmm. the east cheyenne trail like or the you know the like you've you've heard of you've heard of some of these anyway surely because we are now into the era that he calls the old wild west days that we might just call the wild west Mm -hmm. um which he dates very specifically from 1867 to 1887 yes which is significant because um the the indian nations and he does call them nations and give them every sort of respect as nations yep um those come before the old wild west days which in in turn is significant because the narrative and the the as someone who has studied um here we go again the western genre in in film um pretty pretty closely in some of my academic career um this is a theme that comes up over and over in you know western films made by white people in the 20th century is this idea that the wild west was this slow spread of civilization um Mm. that you know every every western movie that's about a sheriff you know coming into a town to clean it up and and get rid of clem and the other bandits like the the buried theme there is that this sheriff is creating civilization where before there was lawlessness yes um and essentially, and once again, this is this is one of those things that it just enrages me that I had to wait until I was 30 years old to learn <laughs> um, that lawlessness was there not because the land was empty, but because a previous civilization had fallen in order to create it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just a mind-boggling thing that shouldn't be mind-boggling and is only so because of... How that is never taught anywhere in american uh history or, yeah. or um culture it's it's barely even acknowledged mm-hmm. um at least in any anything that I've ever encountered um and uh yeah i guess I guess that's the main point I just wanted to include that 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 specific element was just like. Mm-hmm. One of the things that just went off like a depth charge in my mind and has kept going off since the first time I read this. Sure. Um, I think it's in the in the foreword to this edition um, by Geary Hobson. Sure. Who I don't know a whole lot about. Um, he's a yeah. Native American poet and novelist who I would like to to uh, uh, read, but. Um, the, uh, I think he says something about um, Lafferty capturing, oh yeah, uh, the, the American Indian views and more particularly the Choctaw view of American history and the Indian territory. Hmm. Um, and he's, he says, anyone who has endured the milksop watered down and whitened view of Oklahoma history as taught in high schools all around the state, is advised to read this book with extreme caution. Such mm-hmm. readers are further enjoined to not be surprised to hear that there are indeed Indian versions of American history. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, that's, again, just one of the things that... that and I think, I think some of the things we've talked about so far have touched on that in other ways without maybe explicitly naming it, that, that this is really a Choctaw view of history. Um mm. and there's there's even a, a part probably one of the parts that like disturbed me the most from a, a sort of a racial perspective is a scene with with um Hanali uh pulling the wool over the eyes of, I believe, some Kiowas. Kiowas Oh, with the horses? With the, the talking horse. Yep. Which the talking horse bit is hilarious and wonderful. Absolutely. But, but there's just some tossed off comments in uh, in that uh, section about like Kiowa's being being childlike or yes. being easy to fool, yep, and which just ties
1: to that whole boyishness theme.
0: It does, but the way that it mm. the way that it's presented, you know, could you could come off as pretty disturbing, sure. from a white writer, okay. Um, which you know, if I mean, no one's perfect, including Lafferty, despite what my tone throughout most of these episodes may have implied (laughs) you know so if if that's just offensive like maybe that's just offensive but um i think that what is going on there is that we're seeing the kiwas from hanali's viewpoint um that to a choctaw a kiwa is is particularly childlike and easy to fool um yes yeah but but again it's it's this idea that there that there is a Choctaw view of history and that you know those uh in in your um favorite stagecoach movie from from a uh, childhood the the those those you know Indians that appear for 10 minutes to uh Harry the Harry the stagecoach and drive the heroine into the into the cowboy's arms or whatever that they have a whole history and a whole story and a whole set of biographies that have driven them mm-hmm. to that point point. and yeah i think i think that's not that that what i just said is like something i didn't know intellectually but sure. i think that's one of the things that this novel embodies so mm-hmm. um adroitly
1: Ooh, good word
0: thank you yeah um
1: yeah I don't know if I can add to
0: that because it's yeah um if you don't have anything else uh specific, I have not, one more yeah please thing I want to to just point up that I would regret if I did not point up and that is um Hanali's last battle with white Man Philea okay. Um, and I want to point it up because, partly because it, it's, it, it's not out of character with the rest of the novel, but in a certain sense, um, it might seem that way Mm -hmm. because it's such a good fight scene. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, it's vivid and it's vivid. You know, this, this book, um, someone that I read recently said that, uh, Lafferty's prose, Bubbles and flows like smooth jazz, ah. um, and and I think if we're searching for a metaphor for the structure of this book, like jazz might be yeah um, a, a, an apt comparison that I don't know nearly enough about to actually uh, perform accurately. Um, but it just the fact that it, it just just how it, it it flows and like each each segment whether it's sentence level or paragraph level or chapter level, you know, it, it flows out of the last one, but not necessarily in the structure you'd expect. Sure. Um, so it feels jazz like in that way, but, um, you know, and it, and it, it bounces back and forth between scene and summary and like passages that could have just come out of a, of a well-written, just purely historical text. Mm hmm. Um, but then, and of course, I'm trying to, uh, to find it. And of course, because I'm doing that, I am failing. Um, of course. I was trying to find it
1: earlier. Oh, so. okay. Here, here it is. It's okay.
0: in chapter 16. Um, and of course, finally, the, the murder of Hanali's daughter um, provokes this. Mm-hmm. But uh, just that that fight in the meadow... It, you're right it's so vivid um and it's so just like it has the the like thrust and counter thrust of that you want in a brilliant fight scene yes um but it also just it doesn't reduce itself to sort of like a, a bad dnd session of <laughs> you know marking marking hit points and counting bullets or anything like that. right um you know and and even uh uh it, it sort of flows into and out of the omniscient voice in a, in a spectacular way. Yep. Um, like, White Man Philea was moving rapidly and silently in deep cover along the fringe of the meadow. The good ears of Hanali could not hear him and the sharp eyes could not catch any movement. Moreover, White Man was circling in the direction opposite that which Hanali had first guessed. Even the scent was lost by the shifting of the wind, but there are secondaries by which even a ghost may be tracked the kiawas can tell you the flight of a hawk in the sky yesterday afternoon going only by the marks of rodents on the ground and by such secondary means sonali was able to track the ghost in a bu- in the bush a kingbird set up a slight squabble some distance away a nighthawk further away and in another direction grunted and flopped up off a stump and sonali had a triangulation mm-hmm. um so like that's that's such it, it starts out sort of with really vivid, concrete details, and it moves into this this sort of uh, um, omniscient uh, piece of telling about about Kiawas, but mm-hmm. it, it uses that to flow back into the vividness of the scene in just a really masterful way. Yes, um, and I think it points up something we've said in episodes quite well past at this point um, about. If you're gonna be a writer who breaks the rules, oh yeah, you have to be one who knows why the rules are yep. in place. Yep, exactly. It's often tempting to say one who can write a story by the rules, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether they choose to or not, um, right? And I think you know, I I, I think Laverty just does that here because it it's the most appropriate thing to put uh, in this section of sure. the story, but. It's, it's just to point out that, um, he could be a quite successful and brilliant novelist of much more conventional, uh, stories and, and topics and styles if he wanted to.
1: Right. But he deliberately directs his prose and structure
0: and even his subject matter.
1: Yes. Into something different. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's good. Yep. Um, well, anything else you want to talk about about Oakland and Ollie? Uh I mean, we could obviously talk more. Again, we could do four to eight episodes yeah, on this
0: definitely, book, definitely. So, but nothing comes to mind at this point.
1: All right. Well, then I think um, we ought to draw to a close uh, this set of four episodes. And Ethan, do you know what it means when we come to an end of four episodes and neither of us has broken a rule?
0: It means we both lost. It means we both lost. That's yeah. So sad. I mean, I am too. It
1: means but I get to punish you, so you I'm not do. sad about you that. You do. You are the guest, so I will give you the uh, ability to
0: punish me first. All right. I'm not sure if that's actually you pulling a sneaky one <laughs> to get the last lash in. Um, I'll never tell. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay. Here's what I want to do, because I forgot to bring the thing that i've meant to bring to our last (laughs) technically eight episodes now oh boy um i didn't bring it with me uh again like my books i was just completely unprepared for this this recording session (laughs) um so so here's what i have improvised uh somewhere all right i have a timer are you familiar with the green glass door game yes are you familiar with the four's magic game no all right so four's magic is similar conceptually to the green glass door right in that i am going to say some sentences to you Mm -hmm. and you are going to have to try to say the the uh like when i do a few examples you're going to have to try to say back to me the formula that i've oh boy embodied okay right similar to green glass door yep right? right You, you end up having to be able to tell me if things can go through the green glass door. Right. But it's a speed round. Oh, boy. So I'm going to put one minute on the clock. And I'm going to go through as many examples as I can in one minute. Okay. And then you're going to have 15 seconds to try to repeat mm-hmm. the formula back to me. Okay. Um, and I am going to have to ask you for... Uh, just give me a number. Okay, right now? Yes. Seven. Seven is five. Five is four. Four is magic. Give me another number. Two. Two is three. Three is five. Five is four. Four is magic. Uh, Okay, nine. Nine is four. Four is magic. Ten. Ten. 10 is 3 3 is 5 5 is 4 4 is magic
1: Got it You got it? Yep. All right, you want to do it? Um Okay. Yeah. Yeah, here, give me a number. Uh
0: 15 15
1: 15 is 8 8 is 5, 5 is 4, 4 is magic. Well, what if I told you 15 was 7? Is 15 7? Did I I count it wrong?
0: (laughs) I don't... I (laughs) I think you do have it. 15 is
1: 7, 7 is 5, 5 is 4, 4 is magic. Yeah, you do have it. Okay. Okay. Uh...
0: You, you got, you definitely got the concept. Yay. You just have had too much scotch, which I can say now. You
1: can say that now. To, uh. To
0: actually count. Count correctly. Correctly. <laughs>
1: okay. And
0: I believe gentle listener, like good camp counselors, we are not going to tell you the secret. Nope. But exactly. unlike, unlike campers, you can rewind your podcast cassette and replay this section as many times as you want to figure it out. Right. Right. And we sort, of, we sort of gave you a hint in the way that we resolved that. Good. Good. All right. All right. You ready for your punishment? Yeah, don't slap me. <laughs>
1: oh! Ah! Too late.
0: Dang it. Um, All right, but now what's my punishment. Now
1: your punishment. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> your punishment is to take this book. Okay. I want you to find the first... Uh, just open to a random page okay. and then start paging until you find uh, the first... Sentence spoken by Hanali. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and I want you to punctuate it incorrectly.
0: Well, but there isn't any punctuation. Exactly. Am I just playing the William Shatner game? A little bit. <laughs> A little bit. William Shatner game
1: with Hanali and nominee.
0: I know. Yes. It is. Around the bend I smell. The French and Shawnee smoke. Though, for a moment I thought it was Quapaw smoke. Smell, but from my information here, is my place right here. <laughs> oh, good. Which I love that challenge because it's apparently when the Choctaws did attempt punctuation, how approximately how oh, they that would punctuate. that yes. That's, that's more or less what inspired me that Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. I'm a little surprised I
1: didn't think of it. Yeah, much. good. Yeah. All right, all right. We've punished each other, so uh, now we go on to ratings.
0: Um, Everyone who's still listening, because you know they all just wanted—they all hear just wanted the, punish the punishments. Part. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right, so Ethan, please rate Ben sing- space side Single Malt Scotch whiskey
0: ten years old. Okay. I'm going to give it a three point five. Okay. Um. I don't. I. It may deserve slightly higher than that, but I feel I've been too generous with my Scotch mm. ratings in the past, so I'm trying to crack down. And also, <laughs> it's a. It's one of those ones that I think the whiskey itself is better than my taste for it is. Okay. In that, I think it's a very good whiskey. I just. It's just not hitting. The things that I personally gotcha. prefer whiskey to hit, okay. which I feel like I say every time I give anything anywhere Me. below like a four. But on the other hand, that's sort of what a whiskey rating is, huh? Yeah. Um. It's uh, so as far as taste, tasting notes went, um, there was some stuff I liked quite a bit. Uh. Mm-hmm. It had a. It, it started off with a with a real mouthful of smoke. Oh, yes, um, which I did appreciate. and then it kind of fades into like s- like the taste of wheat, but that's actively on fire mm mm-hmm. which I didn't hate. Um, it you know goes back to some of that like intense smoky stuff that I like., uh, but then from there it goes into this really long caramel finish mm-hmm. and it was a really long and sweet finish, yes. Um, that I would say is like about fifty percent of the tasting experience. Sure. Um, which, as as you know, is is not my favorite. Like like I say, other than and than the sweet, I did enjoy it. Um, it's again one of the scotches that like if I wanted scotch in a bar only had this, I would quite happily mm-hmm. drink this. But mm-hmm. um, compared to all other scotches, it's it's a it's a three five for me. Gotcha. Um
1: I am going to give this a very surprising 4.5. Oh wow. Um I was extremely pleasantly surprised by this. Uh I, I said at when when we were talking about the underground railroad that I intended to buy a Scotch that would hurt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so I wanted something that that had that smoke and I also wanted it to have some sort of spicy bite to it. Mm-hmm. And I think this did have that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um the, the caramel was definitely there. It was very sweet. Um, but that sweetness was undercut by not necessarily a peat smoke, but a smoke, um, that, uh, dug in, dug in really hard. And then when I added drops of water to it, there was, um, some dark fruit, uh, that came through for me. Uh, and it, it just, gave me a complexity that i was not necessarily expecting from this scotch um i'd never heard of this scotch before saw it on the shelf um and read just the bare minimum and thought that's that's more or less the the style of scotch i'm going for 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 these episodes and so picked it out and i am very pleasantly surprised by this sure um I, I'm giving it a 4.5 now and I'm always willing to allow my ratings to be a little fluid on things. Sure. So, you know, I might come back to it later and rate it differently, but it's a 4.5. I, I am very much surprised by this sketch. I like it a lot. Sure. So. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Now to the book, Oklahoma Ali, Ethan.
0: Buy it. Okay. I mean, I think I, I think I maybe telegraphed this rating a few episodes ago when we introduced it yeah just because of everything i said about it and also (laughs) the tone in which i said it Mm -hmm. um but i love this book uh i genuinely we're we're uh recording this with about a month and a half left of this year and i've read it twice this year i may end up reading it a third time this year (laughs) um yeah gotcha yeah, I'm also going to say buy it.
1: I intend to read this book again. Um, not necessarily this year. We're coming up on a very busy season for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, yes, I, I would like to read it again. And... Well, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, it... it, it just with the few themes that we talked about so far, I want to read specifically focusing on each of those themes, Mm -hmm. which means I need to read it about seven more times. Yeah.
0: Right. Specifically. And then even, even some of the themes we didn't get to exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, so I, yeah, I, there's a lot to it and it doesn't read like you would expect a a simple novel to read with an overarching story arc, but, uh, it, it's an it's a novel it's definitely a novel and i want to explore that some more yeah
0: and even even some of the stuff like even if you take out some of the themes sure. and like the you know the 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 fact that it's it's about a, it's a, na- a novel about the native american experience like even if you if you leave some of that aside and just look at it as as a novel as as pure mm-hmm. prose as well as just like, structural stuff and all of that, like, like, creative writing class Mm -hmm. stuff, um, there's so much to, to explore and think about just, yes, just from that.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, and also, I was gonna say, as far as buy it, this is another one where, as far as I know, um, it is out of print except for the, uh, University of of Oklahoma. Oklahoma reprinting. Yep. Um, that is the version I had to buy and the version that, um that your copy is as well mm-hmm. um and i i assume our podcast doesn't have this kind of reach but if it did and like we had to like we bought them out and you know provoked them to go into another printing due to demand like that would be my dream for That'd be awesome for this particular rating
1: yeah fantastic yep so, yeah Alright, Ethan. Uh, Scotchbook comparisons starting with uh, the Underground Railroad and uh, the Ben ten tenure. Did we do that? Oh yeah, you did. Didn't We did, didn't we? Yeah, we did that at the okay. end Underground yep. Railroad. Yep, my bad. So, Scotchbook pairing for Oakland and Ollie. I'm going to
0: still say pretty good match. Um, I don't know what a perfect match for this book would look like. Mm. Um, but you know, I, again, you're right. There is there is some of that like that like spiciness and, and burn to it. Um, that that's how you described it. I think that's mm-hmm. what I was describing as wheat that's on fire. Sure. Um, and you know the the smokiness, um, like all of that is very earthy. Which again, the idea of land is one of those extremely important themes that we didn't even mm-hmm. get to touch on. Um, So it feels feels pretty appropriate, Mm -hmm. um, but not completely appropriate, though, again, I don't know what completely appropriate would look like. Um, Yeah. But I'm going to stick with that. Sure. How about you?
1: I dig it. Uh, Yeah, I'm also going to say pretty good match. Uh, Similar reasons, I'm not sure what a perfect match would be, but uh, I think this is... As, as good as I can think of, right. it's, <laughs> it, it's very, very good. Uh, again, the earthy tones are perfectly appropriate. Um, yeah, so, yeah, pretty good match. I, I, I'd drink this and, and read this book while drinking this. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so on to the next books. Yeah. All right, would you like to know what we're reading next, even? I would. All right. I have your copy right here, and this is a, a book that Sarah instructed me. To, to bring to this podcast at oh, some point. And uh, she also instructed me that if I were to bring this to this podcast, it has to be this year. <laughs> <I see. laughs> so, here it is. The Light Between Oceans. Oh, okay. Um, by uh, M.L. Stedman. Um, this was uh, turned into a movie. Um, yeah. I have seen the movie. I have not read the book. So, this will oh, be that's interesting.
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, Sarah read the book and then saw the movie with me. So that's that's
0: why she wanted me to to bring it along oh i was trying to i i know i knew i mean i knew it was a book i knew that there was a movie i was trying to remember what it was about the movie that made me want made me tempted to see it before reading the book which is not my usual practice most of the time some exceptions um and it's definitely that alicia vikander is in the movie
1: Uh, yeah okay we can talk about that. <laughs> Off mic. Off mic. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, uh, cool. Yeah. So yes, this will be our, our next book, "The Light Between Oceans" by M. L. Stedman. Um, cool.
0: Now yeah. this year, this year, uh, you had to bring the book, or this year we had to talk about the book because I had to bring the book. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I... she
1: said time is running out before she would be willing to let me read it and
0: and hear me talk about it (laughs) i see i see are you saying she does listen to the podcast at least through walls well yeah that's that's fair um i was trying to figure out if you had a better wife than me but but (laughs) it's it's about the same um well and she'll listen to me talk about talk about the book while i'm reading it sure sure that's that's fair cool uh do you want to know what we're going to read after that? Yes, please. I'm afraid I did not get you a copy because okay. I'm 99% sure you have a copy. Okay. Uh, you can let me know if that is wrong and I will get you one. Um, it is a book called The Dream of Perpetual Motion. Oh. By a man named Dexter Palmer.
1: I don't have a copy, but it has been on my list for a oh, while.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I will get you a copy. All right. Um, but... I just could swear I saw a copy at your place, but maybe I'm thinking of my brother's place now that I think about it. <laughs> um, so so I assume you haven't read it, then. I have not. No. I, did, I somehow didn't think you had read it. So, Dream of Perpetual Motion is a book I have a storied history with, yeah. as does your brother Nicholas, who has been a guest on this podcast before, mm-hmm. and who would be welcome to reread it and... Come on to this podcast and talk about it if he wanted to. Okay. However, I'm pretty sure he does not want to. No, probably not. Um, I believe the words he used to describe that this book were hate, hate, and also hate. <laughs> um, Sounds about right. Now, granted, this was several years ago, and, and people change, but yeah, um, I, I suspect that this would still be true. Um, so, the dream of perpetual motion is a steampunk retelling of the tempest sure and that is the simplest way i can describe it um and it doesn't begin to cover the half of it all right um now the reason your brother nick has read it is that i influenced our friend lars johnson who came up a Mm -hmm. couple episodes ago um the head of the english department where we both uh went to undergraduate and uh, Lars was taken enough with this book that he did assign it, I believe, to his freshman, um, like, intro to lit mm-hmm. students. I don't think it was composition. I think it was, like, intro to lit. Um, based on... I'm, I'm taking indirect credit for it. I believe <laughs> I recommended it to someone who read it and recommended it to him. Yeah. Um, so a couple generations of students at our school did read it gotcha um and i have personally apologized to some of them <laughs> um and it's it just i just felt it's it's been one that's been on my on my like maybe bring this at some point list literally since we began this podcast okay like almost every ra- every round i have been like uh this time no not this time and just between the fact that recently enough we have read um the Tempest, the Shakespeare play, and The Sea in the Mirror mm-hmm. um, by Auden right. is is sort of putting me back in a tempesty mindset, and this seems like a logical follow-up to some of that. Sure. That I would maybe read, you know, on my own anyway, but why should I suffer alone? <laughs> sure. So. All right. Well, that sounds good. Cool. All right. So,
1: yes, gentle listener, next time we will be reading... Uh, the Light Between Oceans by M.L. Steadman, followed by Dream of Perpetual Motion by... What was his name?
0: Dexter Palmer.
1: Dexter Palmer, thank you. Um, so, uh, please read along. Please give us your feedback in the top contact section of the Tapestry Radio website, uh, or on Twitter, at Room with Scotch, or on Facebook in the Tapestry Radio Tap House. If you request to join, we will let you in, so long as you are not the robot and or... Uh, Freshman. No, we'll let you freshman in. Um
0: (laughs) as long as they listen to their elders.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, young buck. Um, Okay. Okay, boomer. Yeah, thank you. (laughs)
0: Um
1: yeah, so yeah, join join there. Um uh we'll also do your homework. Uh we're not gonna promise to do it well, uh, but we'll promise to do it as funny as we can. So if you like our sense of humor. Uh, put that in your homework and send, turn it into your teacher and we will laugh as you are sent off to plagiarism jail uh, and then plagiarism prison and then plagiarism work House. electric chair. Wow. Oh, oh man. <laughs> you really, you really ran with that one this time. All right, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm it's the... serious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just submit that to us. Go to org slash Scotchcast. Uh, scroll down a little bit, find the uh, submission form. Fill that form out, and it will be done, and we will do it, and you'll have it. So, uh, yeah, Uh, if you like this show, uh, check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, such as Intermission, the Backstage Drama Podcast, and Pokémon Rollout, Pokémon Tabletop United Actual Play Podcast. Uh, Rate and review this show and all the shows that you love on Apple Podcasts and the other shows uh, and where, wherever else you listen to podcasts, um, I think five stars is a, a, a very acceptable rating.
0: Yeah, five, um, five is good.
1: Five five is okay. Give a review if you are so inclined, but as long as you give five stars, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, also, tell a friend. Uh, as as we have decided for uh, season four, our, our preferred guerrilla tactic of choice is to start our podcast playing and then assault your neighbor with your earbuds Put those earbuds in their ear. Well, and okay, don't assault them. Just say, put them in their ear. Put them in their ear and then pack away slowly saying, you'll thank me later. Yes. Um, yes, that's that's our tactic of choice. So please do that. Uh, and Ethan, where can they find you?
0: I am on Twitter at Bjartlett. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I, am, I have a web comic that I uh, write words for and is illustrated brilliantly by someone who is not me, who's named Robin G, who oozes talent, and also I write words. That's Pin Porter, girl detective. Um, Pinporterdetective.com. If you like fairy tales, film noir, um, anything in sort of those milieus, you'll probably like this webcom. Mm -hmm, Probably. Uh,
1: You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L where you can check out my ties. Tie knots, technically. (laughs) Tie knots. Well, and ties. I well, mean, there's you can look at the ties. There are ties that are, that are being knotted, so you can check out my ties, Ethan. You're right. You
0: did out pedantic me. There.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, until next time, gentle listener, just remember it's our party and we'll cry if yeah, R. A. Lafferty makes us <laughs> when he does.